You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, the official podcast of the Coastal LA Singles Ministry, where our focus is reaching up, reaching in, and reaching out. All right, so as people are settling down, I actually printed out 20 copies of the notes. Um, It's going to be uploaded, as I understand, in the PDF format as well. So if you don't get one, don't worry, it will be online, along with the audio recording. So if you know one of your friends who doesn't have internet or doesn't have a computer, maybe leave the notes for them. And we'll get started in just a second. As soon as Jason appears. Oh, there we go. Shall we get started? All right, let's do it. Let's do it. So welcome to a godly work ethic class. The recorder is on, I assume, right? So, okay. I just recorded myself saying that, but... Anyway, welcome to this class. Uh, just very quickly, a little bit about my background. So I graduated from Stanford University in 2012. Uh, I had a PhD in electrical engineering. And for two years, I was working as a management consulting firm for the prestigious uh, McKinsey & Company. And we do a lot of work with the Fortune 500 companies, helping them with strategic issues, operation issues, and organizational issues. That's actually part of why you know, I got pulled in to help our church. Uh, to do organizational assessment as well. Uh, And after two years, I realized that was not really the right career for me because I really wanted to be more hands-on with my career. So I went back to my engineering roots, and now I'm helping to co-found two startup companies. So that's what I'm doing right now. Okay, a godly work ethic. Let's dive right into it. Jason and I are going to tag team this tonight, so hopefully you're in for a good treat. What is a godly work ethic anyway? Right? I think if we want to have a godly work ethic, we've got to have the definitions down. Right? We can approach this in many different ways. Right? But for the purpose of tonight, I want us to consider this definition. A godly work ethic is that when we work, God is glorified. That is the ultimate objective. Right? And the theme scripture for us tonight is Colossians 3, 23 to 24. It says, whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. You know, the the fact of the matter is, the moment we got baptized and called ourselves a Christian, we became ambassadors for Christ. Now, the only difference is, are we a good ambassador, bring glory to God? Or we bring disgrace in God's name. There really is no middle ground. So we really got to have a deep conviction about having a good work ethic so that we can be in the former, okay? What does that really look like, right? I went to the Bible, and one of the best examples I can find is this character, Daniel, right? We all know Daniel, part of the exile group, rose of the rank in the foreign country. And look what the Bible says about this thing. Look at what the Bible was said about Daniel. In Daniel 6, uh, verse 1 to 5, it reads, It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel is so distinguished himself 
among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the entire kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. What does that mean? Basically, Daniel was so awesome that even when people hated him with jealousy, the only thing they can say is, wow, he's amazing, and we have to make things up if we have to get anywhere. This is the picture, guys. This is who we want to be, every one of us, at our workplace. Okay. Now let's break it down a little bit more. What are some of the fruits that we see of a godly work ethic? Well, first of all, you distinguish yourself. You really excel at your workplace. You should see that. Your work has great impact. Right? You get promoted. See, the king wanted to promote Daniel. And people trust you with very important responsibilities. And of course, everyone noticed. Notice it's not always with a pure intention. Sometimes people get jealous. But the matter of fact is people notice. You know, I think deep down inside we all want to make a deep impact in our workplaces. We hand out invitations from time to time, invitation cards. We carry those around. But those things are really pretty useless unless we're back with this. You know, nobody really cares about what's on the card. They want to see you live it, right? So this is very important. If we want to make a deep impact at our workplace, we've got to have a godly work ethic, just like Daniel. We should all aspire to this standard, okay? So now we're going to go right into the practicals, right? How do we develop a godly work ethic? So I'm going to cover the first four points, and then Jason's going to come up, cover a few more points, and then bring us home, okay? So let's go right into it. First point, face the facts. If we want to develop a godly work ethic, we've got to know where we stand right now, today. Right. Do you feel like a Daniel at your workplace right now? If not, when was the last time you felt something like that? Has it been a month? A year? Several years? Maybe you never felt that kind of success at your workplace? How do you process that spiritually? There are a few different responses we can take. And then, unfortunately, they're not always that good, right? First of all, we can make excuses. And you know, as Christians, we can make very spiritual-sounding excuses. Oh, these things sound really good. This is one example right here. I don't want to be selfishly ambitious at work. <laughs> Sounds good, right? I don't want to get my sense of self-worth from my work. Again, very spiritual. When you say that, people clap, you know, all these things. There's nothing wrong with saying these things. The only problem is what the problem comes when you're saying these things to cover up for your insecurities. And you're actually hiding your true intentions, right? This is just kind of a self-consolation at the end of the day, not anything spiritual. We can also escape, right? Very obvious one, just turn to pleasure, flip on the TV, 
go to any other way you like to entertain yourself and just try to tune out, drown out the pain so you don't feel disappointed. Or we can be, again, be more spiritual, right? And just go to diversion. We may volunteer. We can start serving more in the church. Step up and take up leadership positions in the church and feel good about ourselves that way. We just keep doing things, doing things, doing things, just so that we don't have to feel the shame or discouragement at work. Again, just like making excuses, it's not going to get us anywhere. And the, actually one of the most dangerous things, we have an awesome church, okay, guys, very supportive, very loving. The danger of that is that somebody who's discouraged can actually still feel pretty good and supportive. And it may actually mask the problem until it actually really, really blows up in your face. So we've got to be careful about that. If we see that in one another, we've got to call it out. Hey, are you really okay with this? Or are you really just trying to deny? Right? Are you just in denial? Right? We've got to call it out in ourselves and also in our brothers and sisters in our life. Face the facts. Okay, point number one. I think I covered about most of this, but let me just make a few more points. We spend most of our waking hours working, right? So our ability to have impact and our satisfaction at work is actually a very, very key component of our overall spiritual well-being, right? We just have to confront the facts, and if there's any hiccups there, we should not make excuses or justify it. Uh, th- at the end of the day, everyone needs improvement, right? So there's no shame to admit where you're at. In fact, uh, when I was preparing this lesson, um, on Sunday night, I, I was working on this very lesson at 1.30 in the morning, and then I sent the first draft to Jason, and then I fell asleep, and I, <laughs> I slept right through my alarm and missed my morning meeting by like 30 minutes. I woke up like, oh, maybe I should not be preaching this lesson after all. <laughs> but, you know, we all screw up. It's just a matter of do we learn from our mistakes. Right. So in Jeremiah 17.9, it says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? We've got to be very careful examining our hearts. Okay. Second point. This is a very obvious point, but it's one that's worth making again. Um, is as with everything else in life, whether it's your physical health, whether it's your spirituality, whether it's relationships, if you want to grow in it, you've got to put in the effort. There's no way around it. Right? There's, there's no magic formula. There's no silver bullet. You've just got to put in the time. In Acts 20, 33 to 35, it reads, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, brothers and sisters, we've got to have a conviction that we need to work hard to not just provide for ourselves, but so that we can give generously to others. That's our calling. Our calling is so much beyond just meeting our own needs. Okay. That means we've got to work that much harder than everyone else in the world. Some questions to consider. Are we still depending on others? When should we should be at a point where others are depending on us. Right? Are we putting in enough hours at work? It's funny, I, started, I did this exercise about a month, two months back, where I just started timing how many hours I actually work a week. You know, I, I have this stopwatch with me, and every time I get up, take a break, I'll stop the stopwatch. When I get 
distracted, I'll stop the stopwatch. When somebody starts talking to me, I'll stop the stopwatch and just track how many hours do I really work. I was under the impression that I was working about 60 hours a week. But when all is said and done, you know, between the church activities, between the breaks, uh, between the little errands that I run, other distractions, I was only averaging about 40 hours a week at the time. I was really, really convicted, actually. It's a, and I suspect, in fact, I've tried that same exercise with two of my roommates, and both of them discover very similar things. You don't work as many hours as you think you do. In fact, I would argue most people probably don't work a full 40-hour week. Um, so are we really putting in enough time at work? And are you willing to find out? Right. we got to work hard. There's no way around it. Okay, this is a very interesting point, and I have actually two sub-points uh, under this topic. And it's called cultivate discipline in little things. A lot of times we can think that, oh my gosh, in order to transform my life or turn my life around, I need to do something drastic. There are times when that's necessary, yes. Okay? But a lot of times it's actually paying attention to all the little things that we're already doing and doing them better and perfecting them and actually doing mastering and doing it well. Things, simple things like going to bed and waking up on time, you know, keeping your office and home tidy, be on time, prioritizing and sticking to it. But this last one is a funny one. Sometimes we can spend all this effort prioritizing, and then we just completely throw it aside. The moment we, you know, something catches up into it, ooh, you know, <laughs> then you come back and say, oh, well, why didn't I get my list done? Well, you weren't disciplined enough to stick to your priorities. Okay, so the first sub-point under this is this. Sometimes the little things you think in life are actually not that little, right? This is interesting proverb, Proverbs 6, 10 to 11. It reads, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. What is this saying? It's saying little things matter, Right? Well, let me give you an example, an illustration of this very concept. The question is, what is the cost of wasting one hour per day? Right? What is the cost of that? Say you woke up half an hour late, you watch an extra half hour of TV, or you stop by at the water fountain and chatted a little longer than necessary, and you end up wasting about one hour a day. How costly is that, really? Well, if you don't think too much about it, the simple answer is you wasted one hour, there's 24 hours in the day, so that's about 4% of your day. Nah, not a lot, right? That's not the whole story, though. The actual cost of the one hour, if you think about your typical work day, right? You spend about eight hours sleeping and getting up, getting ready and all those things. Spend eight hours at work if you're working a 40-hour full-time work week. You spend about two hours eating, cooking, cleaning, all those things maybe half an hour commuting each way, adding to one hour. Hopefully you're having your quiet times, so one hour of quiet times. We're not robots, so we gotta have breaks and rest between, say one hour. If you wanna stay healthy, 30 minutes of exercise, and maybe 30 minutes just doing random errands, stopping by at the stores, picking up something. These are not aggressive, guys. These are pretty typical things. But what you will notice about this is none of these things are optional. They're really things you just got to do just to stay sane and prevent things from falling apart. This 22 hours that it adds up to, 
is just enough to sustain your current level of living. Nothing more. You really only have about two hours per day of what I would call discretionary time. This is the time that you can really take to have extra fellowship with people, go and encourage somebody, or invest in your career to learn some new skills. This is the time you have to invest in growth, guys. So well, how much does one hour an hour cost you? 50% of your ability to grow. Right? So you've got to start looking at things with this perspective. When you realize how much it's costing you, gosh, you will not wake up one hour later. Right? <laughs> you will not watch that extra half an hour TV when you're realizing how much it's costing you. We've got to start thinking this way. Little things matter, and it's not that little a lot of times when you break it down, okay? Second part to that. Little things are multiplied. The Bible concurs. In Mark 4.25, it says, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Seems a little unfair, but that's true, right? If you think about it. Why did the wealthy people do better during the recession? Well, a lot of assets were undervalued, and only they have enough cash to buy it at the time. And then when it appreciated, they do better. You say, well, they have a lot of money. Well, it doesn't actually take that much. And I'll show you here. In the book, Outliers, how many people have heard of the book, Outliers? Okay, a few people. So the author, Malcolm Gladwell, made this very interesting observation in that in the Canadian Hockey League, he noticed there was a disproportionate number of professional players whose birthdays were in January and February. Well, that's, in, that's weird, right? Shouldn't it be evenly distributed throughout the year? So they went and did some research, and as it turns out, the reason that happens is because in the Canadian League, somebody who was born in January and February are put into the same age group, age bracket, in the Junior Leagues as somebody who was born in November and December. What that means is when they're playing the games, they're just a little bit physically stronger than their counterparts. Because they're about you know, six months to a year older than other people when they were kids. They perform better as a result. They get more attention from the coaches. They gain in confidence because they perform better. And over time, that snowballs into something that they actually become a better player. So you look at these professional players, a lot of them are born in January and February. And all it started is a little advantage, just a little advantage. This is created artificially by a system, imperfect system. What does that mean, though? It means that the little extra effort we make for God matters, right? That could be the difference between you keeping your job or losing your job, or you being able to secure an opportunity when you see it, rather than letting it just pass you by. It matters, guys. Again, little things matter because they get multiplied. And the final effect you see are actually astounding. Little effort we make normally bring in disproportionate amount of blessing in the long term. And the little mistakes we tend to brush off can destroy us if we're not careful about that. So again, little things matter. Pay attention to them. Guys, let's be brothers and sisters who master the little things in our life. 
My final point before I hand over to Jason is very simple. Honor your promises. We're going to be men or women of our word. In Ecclesiastes 5, 4 to 5, it says, When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Are we too quick to make promises that we cannot keep? Sure, bro, I'll I'll take care of that. And then you don't do it. See, every time we fail to keep our promise, we lose credibility. And when we lose credibility, guess what? Next time somebody's not going to come to us. Remember the story we read about Daniel? How he's what? Trustworthy and not negligent. Right. What does that mean? That means when he says he's going to do something, he does it. That's the only way you can be trustworthy. So, again, don't be rash in making decisions. Oh, sorry, promises. But when you make one, you've got to do everything you can to make it. And, and when you can't make it, you better <laughs> apologize and, you know, <laughs> rather than try to weasel your way out of it. So anyway, with that, I hope that has been helpful. And I'm going to hand it over to Jason, and he's going to bring us home. Okay? Thank you. All right. James, thank you so much. That was awesome. I really do uh, admire James and um, really respect him a lot. So... You know, what, what's the temptation when you see somebody very successful in life uh, to, to think? A tempting thought. Yeah, I don't really like that guy. Or he's just lucky. Or she, man, she just really got that, you know, opportunity no one else was getting. Um, right? We, 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 I mean, those are some of the thoughts that we, we can be tempted to think. Um and that's because Satan, he wants us to, to think that, you know, life isn't fair or, or opportunities don't come around. But I think it's really worthwhile to look at godly men in the Bible and see the outcome of their way of life and attempt to imitate their faith. I love that scripture. You know, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Uh, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And uh, someone that I think displays an incredible faith, and especially in work ethic, is Joseph. Um, let's look at Genesis chapter 39 and verse 4. Actually, we can start in verse 2. It says, The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered. He lived in the house of his Egyptian master, When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted his, his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he didn't concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Wow. Wouldn't you want that, that everything you did, you were successful in? 
wouldn't that just be like incredible? Um, and you know, Joseph had that. And one thing that there's going to be three things that uh, I want to notice about Joseph that um, that really stand out. And the first one is his attitude. Um, Joseph had a positive attitude toward work. Isn't it easy sometimes to view work as a curse? What are some of the, the thoughts that we feel when we feel negative about our work situation? What's that? Yeah, your bosses. Yeah. Um, he doesn't give me enough recognition, right? So why even try? My boss isn't going to give me any recognition. What else? Yeah, not, now I don't get paid enough for this. What else? I've been slaving away for years without a raise, right? Or my coworkers don't try, so why should I? Um, I've tried having a great attitude before and worked hard and it got me nowhere. And, uh, you know, I think part of the problem um, is our society has really driven home the idea that we're supposed to love our work and we real, when we realize we don't, then there's something wrong. Now, there's a part of that idea that I completely agree with and, um, and, and believe in. But, um, but I think it can easily be misinterpreted. Right? I think there's parts of every job, even your dream job, that, that you will not love. Right? And in fact, one of the consequences of Adam's disobedience was that work would no longer be easy. Prior to the fall, Adam could simply reach up, pick an apple, and, uh, and have his fruit, right? But after the fall, God said that we will have a painful toil in, in, in work. That's Genesis 3.17. Um, so I think just coming to grips with the idea, okay, there's... There's going to be a part of work that I probably, you know, won't love. Um, it makes it a little easier to have a better attitude towards it. Um, Proverbs 12:11, it says, He who works his land will have abundant food, but he who chases fantasies lacks judgment. You know, I think if you oversubscribe to this fantasy, it can lead to a negative attitude which promotes poor performance and in many cases, uh, if we simply just decided to have a good attitude about our job, we may find joy in it. And, and it'll definitely help us be more successful. Um, so how do we know Joseph had a great attitude? Well, he was given more and more responsibility. All right? No one gives responsibility, more responsibility to someone with a bad attitude. Um, now, keep in mind also that Joseph was a slave, okay? He wasn't even getting paid. Yet, Joseph took on more and more responsibility with a great attitude. I'm sure as a slave, there appeared to be even less incentive to take on more, inse- take on more responsibility than we have, right? Um, but I think, you know, some, some ways that this comes up in work for me um, is, you know, do we shy away from a task that we know will be difficult? 
or even dish an attitude back when asked to do something we don't feel like doing? Or how do we, how do we respond when something uh, that's asked of us falls outside of our, our job description? Um, I think one of the worst things we can say to a supervisor is, oh, that isn't my job. Or even, even worse, I'm not getting paid enough to do this. Um, you know, attitude is becoming more and more important topic in the workplace. In fact, at my job, uh, my HR department said that we can actually fire just based on attitude. And, and we've actually even, you know, had some write-ups on certain people that just had a bad attitude about doing things. And, um, you know, there's a scripture in Proverbs 10:26. It says, as vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is a sluggard to those who send him. You know, that's, that's a pretty powerful scripture of, of how we need to be when we're given a duty. Um, are we excited about it? Or are we lazy about it and have a hard time with it? You know, Joseph was the king of making, a, making something great out of a bad situation. Why? I believe one of the reasons was because of his attitude. Now, all of this isn't to say that we shouldn't look for better opportunities, but what we are saying is that a bad attitude won't get you to your dream job faster unless you're trying to get fired, right? And that would only put yourself in a more desperate position to get something that you probably like even less, you know? So I think we can really decide to have a great attitude until that opportunity comes. Really embrace, you know, make the decision. And what's so powerful about attitude is that it, it seriously is the only thing that you can control. It's the only thing that, that we have the power to control. We can't control our circumstances. We can't control our raise. If we get a raise, we can't control anything. But what we can control is our attitude. Number uh, four is integrity. You know, Joseph had incredible integrity because he understood that he worked for the Lord and not for men. James brought up that scripture. And we see that in verse 9. It says, No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. You know, we can see Joseph really fighting here. And um, he understands, you know, man, my master's withheld nothing from me, but he doesn't use that as his primary motivation to not sleep with her. He, he says, how can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Joseph felt even more accountable to God than to Potiphar. I believe it's because he understood that he's working not for man, but for God. You know, I think integrity is one of the most rare qualities in the workplace today, which is great for Christians because it really allows us to stand out um, and really shine brightly. Um, but it's amazing, too, because it's almost in every company's, you know, values, right? Every company wants integrity. 
as part of, you know, their mission statement or their values um, that they set out for the company. Why? Because it's, they, even the world knows that if you don't have integrity and you're building something on lies, it's going to crumble. It's going to fall. Right? Like, but even more individually, not just as a company culture, but individually, we really, we have to have integrity. Uh, it starts with us. Let me ask you, how many of you have have or have had co-workers that falsely call off sick to work? Right? Pretty much everybody, right? Um, what about have had or have or have had uh, co-workers that steal? Wow. What's that? Pans, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as Christians, I think we, we have to make it our top priority to answer honestly when we're asked. Never get caught up in the immoral shenanigans of our coworkers or falsely call off sick. You know, we have to be trustworthy. And I believe it's something that every supervisor company is looking for. And it's especially what God is looking for in those that he blesses. Uh, this principle is also brought up in the New Testament, Colossians 3.23, where it says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. That is also addressed to slaves. And how much more when being paid for what we do? How about in our relationships in the workplace with those of the opposite sex? That's a great example uh, or opportunity to display integrity. You know, Joseph here showed us how to resist and deal with temptation, not compromise our integrity. It says that although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her in verse 10. How do you respond when you know that a uh, person of the opposite sex is interested in you at work? Do you respond as Joseph did, where in verse 9 he shares his faith with her by saying, how can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And continue, if they continue, do you refuse to be with them? Or do you flirt back or get flattered or even go out of your way to be near them? The workplace gives us plenty of opportunity to have integrity as Christians. Um, you know, if we simply are working for men, how can we expect for God to be with us and give us success in all that we do, right? I mean, when we're working for God, he's going to be the one that's controlling our success. Um, let's, the, the la- finally, is perseverance. Joseph never gave up. You know, too often we we get out of line. We don't stay in the line like in our careers, right? Many people in the workforce, you know, are are where they are because they didn't get out of line. They stay they persevered. Now, staying in line is isn't just enough, right? It's not just that we have to stay in line and persevere. We also have to demonstrate value. 
We demonstrate value to, to the company that we work for through our skills. A well-known sales mo uh, motivational speaker, Brian Tracy, explains that one can compare the rungs of the corporate ladder to one rung as knowledge and the other rung as skill. So we, we gain knowledge and then we acquire a skill. A skill. We gain knowledge, we acquire a skill. When we strive to attain more, mo more knowledge, then that should lead us to acquiring a new skill. The more skills we have, the more valuable we are to those that we work for. In Proverbs 22:29, it says, Do you see a, a man skilled in his work? He will serve before kings. He will not serve before obscure men. That pair with staying in line and persevering will result in a promotion and given even greater responsibility. Um, you know, I, I've been working at Gold's for a long time. Um, I started at the front desk and worked there for eight months. Um, and I was just out of college and... And that was a long eight months, you know. I, I, you know, finished school, and I just, I kind of just stayed in that position, and it was tough. It was minimum wage, and and um, you know, was shopping at 99 cent store, and and I was just begging the the manager at the time, oh, give me a shot in sales, you know, I'd love to get a chance to prove myself. And finally, that moment came. Eight months later, and I, I moved into sales, and. Uh, I knew not having much sales experience, I was going to have to work twice as hard and twice as much as the next sales guy just to be able to compete with him. Um, and I really took it seriously, applied myself, and, and, and did that. I faced a, a number of uh, disappointments along the way, but I was finally given a chance to be assistant general manager, and later that became sales manager. I ended up doing that for seven years. Now, it was probably longer than it should have been. Um, you know, I, I don't necessarily advise you stay something for that long, you know. Um, but, you know, I, I had to constantly, like, um, you know, just do my very best and then present my, my case to the executives. And I was in a situation where they weren't going to hire a GM at our location. We are going to have a district manager that also acted as the DM, the, the GM. And so I was there for, for seven years, and I remember, you know, you know, really praying hard about it and, and asked God, you know, because I had asked a few executives that were like COOs and things like that, and they said, yeah, I'm going to make it happen for you, and then, like, they got fired. And so I was back to square one, you know. Um, but this time, you know, I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it again, and I really prayed, and you know, I, I made it a point to, like, when he was in town, I'd love to meet with you just for an hour. And um, it was amazing. God actually gave me an opportunity to share my faith with him and really explain, like, how important God is to me. And and then I was able to, um, with with God's help, being bold, you know, ask for it, and, and God made it happen. Um, so that was about two years ago. So now I've been in this position for about two years but it's really really cool seeing God work through it all and and really blessing that that perseverance um, you know but most of us have a limit as to when we decide to give up look at, at Genesis 39 verse 20 um, we see Joseph here 
You guys may have to practice some of this work ethic to get through this end, the end of this here, but uh, we're almost done. In verse 20, it says, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was, he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in all that he did. You know, Joseph's example of perseverance is unmatched. He, he possessed incredible patience and perseverance. You know, to, be, to begin with, he's thrown into slavery by his brothers. How many of us after that would have given up after that? I, I think I might be in that number for sure. Then God gives him great success, but only to be thrown into prison because of his righteousness. That would be so tough. Can you imagine some of the duties in prison? Keep in mind, this is before plumbing. So it was probably pretty, pretty nasty. But he persevered, he had a great attitude, maintained his integrity, and became great in prison and rose to the top. We don't have time to really go into the whole story, but there were some prisoners that, uh, that were there with him, and he interpreted the dream. And, and he said that they would go before Pharaoh and ask to remember him. However, he forgot him. He forgot about Joseph and was in prison for a whole another two years. Can you imagine being two years in prison when you're not supposed to be there and even in the first place? But he, he possessed an incredible tolerance for what appeared to be misfortune. And how was he able to do that? It was his faith in God. His faith in God's goodness allowed him to persevere in being righteous and staying the course. But can you imagine if he gave in to self-pity after being thrown in prison? He would have spent the rest of his life there. He would not have provided Pharaoh the interpretation of his, of his dream that prompted him to prepare for a seven-year famine, famine and ultimately saved all of Egypt and Israel as well. If Israel wasn't saved, we wouldn't have Jesus. That's how powerful of an impact we can have when we persevere. I know when I'm tempted to give up, I like to think of the incredible blessing that could be just around the corner, just past the suffering that could make it all make sense. You know, what incredible things could have we forfeited in our life because we gave up just a little bit too soon? Look at Genesis 41 and verse 37. It says, the, this is after he was out of prison. And he interprets Pharaoh's dream. And it says, The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Wow. How awesome is that? Can you imagine, you know, our boss saying, can anyone, can, can we find anyone like this man or woman 
in whom is the Spirit of God. You know, I, I believe ultimately God wants to accomplish far greater things than what our jobs appear that they offer. And God uses our jobs to shape and mold us into the women, men and women, that he has created us to be. It's easy to allow our jobs to bring the worst out of us. But let us be like Joseph and allow our jobs to bring the very best out of us and glorify God in the process. Joseph had the Lord's blessing in everything that he did because he realized that he was working for the Lord and not for men. That understanding, as Christians, should allow us to have a positive attitude toward our work, have integrity that shines in the dark, this dark world, and persevere even when it feels impossible. We can expect the same outcome when we practice the same faith as Joseph had. So, I know that we gave you a lot here tonight, but uh, I hope that you can take away one or two things that can really help you uh, apply these principles uh, to your to your situation at work. So, there's also some scriptures. There's so many great scriptures on on godly work ethic, and and so we we included those in the back of the of, of the the handout. So, you guys are awesome. Thanks so much for being here. You've just listened to the Elevate podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit elevatecoastal.com.